You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Mary, Queen of Scots. England does not look so different from Scotland. Aye, they are sisters. Queen Elizabeth, your cousin Mary has returned to take up her throne in Scotland. The Queen! My dear cousin Elizabeth, I hope we might meet in person, that I might embrace you. But ruling side by side, we must do so in harmony, not through a treaty drafted by men lesser than ourselves. My dear cousin, let our nations cherish each other as we would. Two kingdoms united. How did the world come to this? Wise men servicing the whims of women. Mary is our foe. We must never bow to her as we bow before you. You have the boldness to doubt my judgment. She is only your queen if I should not produce an heir. What is it like to have a man? <laughs> With heaven's blessing, we bring an heir to Scotland and to England. It is a clear provocation. We must make war in Scotland. So put your skills to use. Do not play into their hands. Our hatred is precisely what they hope for. I know your heart has more within it than the men who counsel you. You would do well to watch your words. I will not be scolded by my inferior. Your inferior? Are you afraid, Henry? No. Good. Because our swords are not just for show. We have a scourge upon our land. Is a woman with a crown. Your beauty, your bravery. Now I see there is no cause for envy. Your gifts will be your downfall. Should you murder me, remember you murder your sister and you murder your queen. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Mary, Queen of Scots, and the story is as follows. Queen of France at 16 and widowed at 18, Mary Stuart defies pressure to remarry. Instead, she returns to her native Scotland to reclaim her rightful throne. But Scotland and England fall under the rule of the compelling Elizabeth I. Each young queen beholds her sister in fear and in fascination, rivals in power and in love, and female regions in a masculine world, the two must decide how to play the game of marriage versus independence. The film is starring Saoirse Ronan, Margot Robbie, Jack Loden, Joe Alwyn, David Tennant, and Guy Pearce. It is directed by Josie Rourke, written by Bo Williman. Joining me for this review, I have Beatrice Loiza. Hey, everyone. And Will Mavity. I think since Saoirse Ronan is an Irishman, it's only appropriate that I speak for the duration of this review sounding like Aidan Gillen. So every time I open my mouth, it'll be a flourished Irish (laughs) accent. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) I can't. No, because now also, too, like I'm thinking of Aidan Gillen with his Irish accent, but I'm also like in Sing Street, but I'm also thinking of him in Game of Thrones. (laughs) Like, Saoirse... You are the queen of Scotland. <laughs> any, in any event, though. So, Mary Queen of Scots. Um, historical epic. You know, written by Bo Williman, who uh, is the writer for House of Cards. 
you know, has a, a theatrical background coming from Josie Rourke here. Uh, two actresses that were both up for the leading actress Oscar last year and Saoirse Ronan, Margot Robbie. I think there is a lot to definitely get excited about with this, especially in a, you know, post Game of Thrones world where people are looking for that kind of level of political intrigue set against some form of historical epic on the big screen. Does Mary Queen of Scots deliver? Let's start off with Beatrice, who actually just came back from a screening a few minutes ago. Beatrice, <laughs> what did you think of Mary Queen of Scots? Uh, that's right. I, I just got home 10 minutes ago from my screening here in D.C. So apologies if I end up changing my mind mid-sentence or something, because I'm going to be speaking from the gut right now. <laughs> um, well, uh, I do have a soft spot for monarch period pieces um, because of certain reading habits I had when I was younger. Uh, so I was mildly excited for this, even though the trailer looked pretty mad to me. Yeah, I mean, to a lot of people, too. Yeah. Um, after seeing it, I have to say it was not my favorite, even though I think there are a lot of redeemable qualities that we'll get into later. Uh thing is, I just saw The Favorite for the first time a few days ago, and I just can't help but comparing the two. Um, I mean, this just felt so polite in comparison, even though it made such a good effort, I think, to be uh, sexually progressive and liberated. And even though the cast was so inclusive of people of different sexual orientations and races, uh, the movie ultimately didn't take these elements beyond beyond surface level for me and it lacked a certain creativity that would have me feeling more positive so i I think something that you're going to hear echoed here is that um and i think we're all in agreement i could be wrong maybe will isn't but um i know for me beatrice my weakest element of this film is the screenplay and how like you I think that there is very strong direction. I think there's very strong performances, strong production value. But there's just something about that screenplay that it it takes a little while to get going. And I kind of found the political intrigue to be a little flat in the early goings. Although I do think it does come together and it hits its emotional impact uh, at the end of the film, which – you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jumping the gun here over Will's thoughts, and I apologize, but I do think a lot of that lays at the feet of Margot Robbie. Um, but before I get into more detail about that, Will, what about you? Uh, what were your impressions of Mary, Queen of Scots? Yeah, so I think between the three of us, I was definitely the most positive. I have cooled a little bit on it since seeing the film, but to me, this film was a lot like another historical biopic this year, First Man where I felt like you have a very flawed screenplay elevated significantly by some stellar direction. And as Matt said, the film's biggest issues come from the fact that they've crammed so much into two hours. This probably should have been a miniseries at the minimum or like a season of Netflix TV. Because it, it's just almost whiplash to keep up with the multiple back and forth years of historical rises and falls. And sometimes that works. Sometimes, you know, you can feel genuinely stressed as a result, which is what it wants you to feel. And that's when the intrigue and double crosses work. You're like, oh, shit, she pulled one over on them. And then you're like, oh, God damn it. It didn't work out. <laughs> but I will say this, though. I thought it worked a lot better than Outlaw King, at least. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm not that it's not bad. I mean, and I do think this is in part just because Josie Rourke's direction was so strong. The screenplay does have its issues. The screenplay is also very on the nose in a lot of its dialogue when it's addressing its themes. Yeah, it's a little dry. Um, as Beatrice said, it's pretty cool that it's been willing to have um, so many people of color in roles. It is very progressive, if not entirely historically accurate in how it approaches the characters. Um but I just I can't get over how good Rourke's direction was, because to me, that was just stunning. Her camera work was dynamic. You have lots of dolly ends. You have some interesting shot compositions. And most importantly, her background in theater shows with some just truly excellent blocking decisions on stage, some good visual symbolism, et cetera, et cetera. And so like First Man, this is a, in my opinion, mediocre script saved by great direction and good performances. Yeah, and you know, the scene for me, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm about to talk about how strong I think the direction is here as well. The only scene for me where I thought to myself, all right, this is a little, it's a little too theatrical here, was the scene in the barn with the uh, sheets. Oh, and I, I just kept that. I, well, I just kept thinking to myself, like, how long does it take for you to follow the sound of someone's voice and find somebody? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, yeah, I think it was also like, do I dare? I don't think it was like, oh, I literally can't find her. I think it was like a question of like, do I big dick the queen, basically? Uh, uh. <laughs> but that's and that's kind of and that's kind of what this movie is in a sort of way. Right. It's like these two just trying to outsmart each other and see who's got the uh, stronger will of the two who which one of them is going to back down first as as the rightful ruler of both England and Scotland and I love that they are both utilizing their positions as uh, women of power uh, in the court in the bedroom everything at their disposal because the whole idea here is that they one of them needs to produce an heir and Elizabeth is refusing to produce an heir and Saoirse Ronan's all like, I'm ready. I'll get, I'll, I'll get an heir if it gets me to throne. And she produces an heir and it further legitimizes her claim. But then there's like a move made by Elizabeth and her men and then there's a betrayal and stuff. And I have to say, like I said, in the beginning, when this movie first starts, I, I definitely got this sense of like, like you said earlier, Will, oh, this is going too fast. Ooh, I don't know if the character's being set up properly. Ooh, I don't know if I'm getting the stakes as much as well as I can. But as it went along and those dramatic scenes and the twists and the, you know, maneuvers made by both queens really, really started to build. And then it culminates in that scene at the barn. Um, it reminded me a lot of Michael Mann's film Heat, actually, in many ways. It, and, and, and even to a certain extent, American Gangster with Russell Crowe and... Um, uh, Denzel Washington, where you have these two characters that are separated the whole movie, and it all culminates in a scene at the end where they finally come on screen together. And Josie Rourke's direction there um, in making that, like carrying that momentum, I, I felt it. I felt the momentum. I felt the stakes. Mm -hmm. I felt everything build to a crescendo that when we got to that scene, and it's an Oscar scene for both actresses. It was like, holy shit, there's magic right now between these two. And I th I was like, all right, I'm in. Like, I think the third act of this film is the strongest of the whole movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the third act is really where I got into it. However, I don't know. I felt like it sort of raced by really important plot points in a way 
that to me uh, made some scenes feel really anticlimactic. Um, I mean, I mm. admittedly don't know all the historical intricacies and where the film was being true to reality and where it made some sort of creative script changes for dramatic effect. Uh, but for example, there was a battle scene sort of midway through the film that to me felt very like, huh, what was the point? I think it was shoehorned in, honestly. Yeah. It's- almost like they would put it in there for – it almost screamed to me like we're going to put this scene in here so that when we show the trailer, we can you know, entice some people to think there's going to be some action in this movie. I, I don't know. like, But that's what it almost yeah, says. Like, literally just a step <laughs> show, Saoirse Ronan and like – that really neat outfit. <laughs> <laughs> Our swords are, so I can't even do her accent. Our swords are not for show, she says, or something like that. But it does give her an opportunity to show that not only can she beat the men around her in, you know, the, the politicking game, they try to take her by just sheer brute force, and she still outmaneuvers them. I, I like that aspect of it. I just... You know, compared to something like we saw, for example, say in like Outlaw King this year in terms of full scale battle scenes and things like that. I I don't know. As the only like kind of real action scene in the whole film, I I definitely was very underwhelmed by its choreography, by everything that was kind of just going on with it the whole time. I was like, ah, this is kind of lame but (laughs) that moment at the very very end of it though where an act of mercy is shown but it's actually a power play that was really cool and i and that's will you know you you and i can respect this a lot the we talk about how often game of thrones is so so strong in its first couple of seasons because of those power plays the political intricacies of what's going on behind the scenes and that's what this reminded me of yeah and when this movie does stuff like that like it's really I, I I I was getting a kick out of it. I was loving it. And to a certain extent too with House of Cards, also written by uh Bo, you know? Yeah. And and that's obviously what made the film stand out. I mean, like, it isn't just that in its raw and bridled form of machinations like the favorite is. But there's enough of that to be meaty. And it honestly, that's why my first thought upon leaving the theater was I really want Josie work to direct at least one episode of that upcoming Game of Thrones spinoff. Hell yeah. Because Coast she knows that kind of world. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, what, what, did, what did you think, Beatrice, and just in terms of like, yeah, the screenplay's a little messy, but like, did you feel that like when any of the twists occurred in the screenplay, because there's a lot of twists, I, I thought at least, did any of them take you by surprise? Did any of them like, you know, make you go, ooh, this is getting juicy or anything like that? Uh, there were a few, but I don't know. Sometimes I felt like conflicts were staged and then resolved so quickly, like within a few scenes that it sort of lost its impact for me at times. Well, that, that goes back to the idea of trying to cram so much story right, into yeah. such a short, like I, yeah. I don't know, because I was enjoying it, uh, generally, like I, I did like where it, the twist it took, but I don't know. I feel like the fact that it was, you know. compressed in that way sort of made it lose the effect it it could have had. Now, I got to ask this question because this is something that I was very, I was thinking about this a lot. Both women have men in their court that cannot stand the idea of being their subjects. Like they are their loyal subjects, but you could just tell they are just like so fed up with taking orders from these women. And I was very curious because, listen, I mean, I think it's I don't think it's a spoiler to say this. It's it's history here. Um, Mary Stewart fails to uphold her reign while Elizabeth is able to uphold hers. 
I'm, I'm just curious to uh, ask both of you why you think Elizabeth was able to maintain control where Mary seemed to lose it as the film went on. It, I guess what was weird to me, I don't know if this really answers your question, but I thought it was really odd that Elizabeth was written as someone so wrought with insecurity. I mean, insecurity pertaining to her ability to rule as well as her sexuality and appearance. Um, I mean, I understand how they're trying to create parallels with Mary, um, who is, you know, not just Catholic to Elizabeth's Protestant, but like uh, Mary is also like sexually adventurous and beautiful and feisty and lives in a place with, you know, these beautiful, natural, lush landscapes. But I don't know. She just seemed to exist as a foil to that. And and I wanted to see more of that, more of Elizabeth beyond her obvious physical transformations. Um, I also, uh, it was so odd to me because I, when I think of Elizabeth, I think of, you know, Kate Blanchett's Elizabeth and this felt yeah. like such a slice of what that character was. Um, we also did get two full movies with her playing that character. So there's also that. That's, that's true. I don't know. It just felt incomplete. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I do think that the story that's told here in this film, Mary Queen of Scots, is better than the story that's told in Elizabeth the Golden Age. <laughs> so Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. But yeah. Kate Blanchett's performance still. I don't know. She's always Elizabeth to me in my mind. <laughs> that, that, and that's fair. That's fair. Um, will, what, what do you think? Like what what in your opinion was ultimately Mary's downfall in this movie? Because honestly, it, it almost seems like the men in her court were uh, subtextually almost like trying to tell her just rule Scotland. You don't also need to go to England. And it's no, like, Oh, I mean, the, is the way the film paints it. The deck, the deck is just stacked insurmountably against her. I mean, like there's just medieval Scotland is just so patriarchal. You're never really going to be able to win. And I mm. think that is kind of the point of the film. It's amazing that she got as far as she did in such a shitty sexist time. Yeah. But yeah, and I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I definitely get what Beatrice is saying about Elizabeth. And I do just in general wish we had a little bit more Elizabeth. It's kind of frustrating yeah. how much Robbie's Elizabeth was relegated to the sidelines. But it, it is interesting seeing a different look at Elizabeth. You know, it's always fun when you have a historical character who's always been played one way, seeing them a little differently, like when uh, Abraham Lincoln has always been portrayed as having this mighty, booming voice, having Daniel Day-Lewis come and give him almost this thin, reedy voice. You know, it's it, it can be interesting seeing a different take on a character like that. And uh, despite some of the issues that it may present just generally towards the Elizabeth narrative. I I did like what Robbie brought to the performance quite oh, a bit. Oh, yeah. I, I actually want to say for the record, uh, I mean, unless if something miraculous ends up happening um, between now and the end of the year, I think Margot is making my personal ballot for supporting yeah, actress. I, I agree. She's excellent. I, I, I was really surprised because I, you know, because to your point, it really is kind of Saoirse's show as the lead. They're not co-leads. Uh, Margo is clearly, I think, supporting to her because of the screen mm-hmm. time and the uh, just the overall focus of the film. But damn, um, there's a scene at the end in a courtyard that I think might be Margot Robbie's like finest on-screen moment. I, 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 because that scene in a movie that I was 
kind of back and forth in terms of being emotionally engaged with throughout that moment at the end of the film nearly brought me to tears oh my because God. I really, really, really felt her moral dilemma and I felt her struggle and her strength too in making the decision that she makes in regards to Mary at the end of the film. Oh my God. Like I just thought it was so powerful. Yeah. I like, I didn't really notice Margot's performance really until those last 10 minutes. And that just like entirely sold me. Um, yeah, and how great she is in this. And can we talk for a moment about uh, the makeup that they used on her in this? Oh, oh yeah. Jesus! It's fantastic. <laughs> Woo! Completely it's really transformative. And you know, I understand she gets a bit of a rap sometimes from some folks because they say she's too pretty. She can't play these roles. They're like they're trying to, I don't know, like uglify her, and it's just not going to work because she's just so damn pretty. And it's like, you know what? Like if it. I don't care like how they look on the outside or anything like that or what you do with the makeup to try to make them look a certain way. You know, she's got the wig and at one point in the movie, she's got the, um, what is it, the pox? What, what was it she had yes, again? Yes, she yeah. had pox, yes. Yeah, and they like do everything they can and it's still like, it's Margot Robbie. She's still like stunningly beautiful no matter what you do to her. <laughs> but at the same time though, she is such a gifted actress that she's actually still, I, I, I thought at least, able to have that performance um, not be overshadowed by the makeup. I really, all throughout, like I know I'm saying that like at the end of the film, that's when I think that she has her finest uh, moments, but all throughout, uh, I was more so captivated by what she was doing than anything that Saoirse had. Although they're they're seen together. Um, I think both of them were equally excellent in that scene. Um, so moving on from that then, uh, any of the supporting players uh, stand out to anyone, any of the men in this film? Because... Um, I, I want to just echo this because I feel like we don't talk about this actor enough on this podcast in general. Guy Pierce is a freaking chameleon. Yeah, I didn't even I mean, recognize him. <laughs> like I feel like he plays so many various different roles throughout his career, and here's like another one where, to your point, like Beatrice, you didn't recognize him. It's like this guy. I, I still can't believe that he never took off like in a very major way, um, and he's just always been like. Uh, that character actor who sometimes takes on leading roles, but damn, if he, he's always excellent on screen. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's always good. Um, most of the supporting cast does their job. Nobody's bad. Nobody stands out really. I mean, David Tennant, the makeup does a good job disguising him and his Scottish accents decent, but he's just doing his David Tennant thing. And, um, you know, Joe Alwyn's fine. Can we can we can we for a moment, Joe Alwyn, with this and the favorite? Can we just like take a moment to acknowledge that I think he is doing everything in his power or his agent is to rebound from Billy Lynn's long halftime well, walk? Well, dating Taylor Swift helped. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, whatever he's doing, he should keep doing it because it's really, really rubbing the stain out that I had from that movie, and and with him to a certain extent too. So, kudos to that at least. I thought. Um... I really liked most of the texts in the movie. Yeah. I, I didn't like the editing. I thought it was definitely too choppy. There were too many cuts in a lot of scenes. But um, I know you weren't a fan of the cinematography, Matt, but I, I thought there were some lovely shots on display there. <sighs> I, you know, we talked about this offline, you and I. Uh, we both agreed that the production design is really, really well done. And the sets are really well detailed. There's a lot going on. I I honestly do believe that they are poorly lit. Um, and I do believe that those interiors for a lot of those scenes, um, 
lose a little bit of that cinematic quality and just the way that they are shot. Um, otherwise, you know, it's like some of the shots of them galloping over the vast landscape of Scotland and things like that. That's all fine. It's just some of these interiors, especially in uh, Mary Stewart's chambers and things like that. I, I really, really, really was put off by the look of the movie during those scenes. Um, the third act, um, though, with the striking red, you all know what I'm talking about. That was that that was a really good visual image. That's like something that I would gladly screenshot and, you know, tag uh, tag uh, one perfect shot in on Twitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the dark interiors I felt like were also really well done, kind of very baroque painting esque, like the shot where they're all the lords of Scotland are all signing uh, a, a memo a, a memorandum. You know, and they're just lit by candlelight. I mean, I thought there were some, even indoors, some lovely shots there. I'd have to, you know what? I mean, listen, I I, I respect your word. I take your word for it. Uh, maybe something for me just wasn't clicking when I saw it. Maybe, I mean, I was in the front row when I watched it. So maybe that's what it was. Um, maybe if I was a little bit further back from the screen and I could take in some more of the um, the full frame and not be so close to the screen. Uh, you know what? Maybe that's what it is. I, I'd be willing to give this a second look or something, you know, though, to reassess. What did, what did you think, Beatrice, about the visuals of this film? Yeah, I, I think I'm somewhere in between the two of you guys. I, I also appreciated the sort of Baroque color palette that it had, um, especially in in Scotland. Um, but to to uh, continue with what you were saying about like the the sort of splash of red, um, that also came up throughout the film with just you know both their hair colors, mm. um, which I thought was really striking. Um, and also yeah. the costume design, uh, the oh, blue dress yeah. that that Mary wears is just really stands out uh, amongst the court of, you know, all those ridiculous lords in, in black. <laughs> um, I really love the costume design. It was marvelous. And I have to say, too, um, not that I think it's bad, because I don't think it is at all. I was kind of let down by Max Richter's score. I was expecting it to be something that was going to really wow me. And I, I I found it to be standard for this genre. I didn't find it to be something incredibly special. You know I what I mean? Didn't even notice it. I Especially yeah. for the pet. I mean, for Max Richter being involved, you know, this is the guy who did, uh, who's done the incredible work on the leftovers and even in otherwise, you know, kind of forgotten movies like Hostiles. His score is so good in Hostiles. Oh. And just like general good orchestral tracks that people use in movies all the time, like Arrival. Um, I And the fact that people had really hyped up this score particularly, that really let me down. It's, it's the definition of just workmanlike. Yeah, I got to agree with that. Well, since we've uh, gone over performances, text, we've gone over everything. Now it's time to see if any of that will translate, I guess, into any Oscar talk. And then we can give uh, final thoughts and a great out of 10 after that. So while we're on the subject right now, uh, Will Mavity, we're, we're getting pretty close now to Oscar nominations at this point. Do you have Mary Queen of Scots currently nominated for any categories? 
I think it'll almost certainly get in for costume design. Uh, makeup is a historically packed field this year, but I think it'll definitely make the makeup shortlist and could contend for a nomination there. You can never predict that category. Production design, maybe, and we will see with Robbie. I think she certainly deserves to be in the conversation, but she has... You know, she hasn't really shown that critics are going to go to bat for. And though I wasn't impressed, you know, Max Richter won what, like the International Composers Prize that is has some predictive ability. And it suggests that because people feel it's Max Richter's time, he might get nominated for that. So it, it could make a decent below the line showing. Yeah. But, um, as, as much as I would like Josie Rourke's direction to be acknowledged that's not going to happen and certainly don't think it's going to get into picture and search is good, but she's been better and this year is too packed. So it, it pretty much other than Robbie just limited to below the lines. What do you think Beatrice? Yeah, I didn't really consider it for any other categories aside from, from makeup and costume design. I think, uh, as Will said, search is, she's really good, but I mean, there are other leading ladies that I think will, uh, take precedence and the film also uh, is fighting against the um uh the hurdle of having to come out late and this idea that the race is kind of already established right yeah and i feel like if this the film in general had better reviews like if it was you know high 80s 90s on like yeah. tomatoes or metacritic then maybe these actresses would be more in the conversation but i, I don't think that's going to be the case yeah i mean th- there's uh I don't know, Margot Robbie to me, uh, you know, Will, I mean, Margot Robbie to me seems like the type of person that yeah, doesn't have a strong showing with critics, maybe pops up here and there, maybe, but seems like somebody that gets like that random BAFTA nod, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we'll see what kind of passion there is to the film, BAFTA could happen, um, I mean, maybe she shows up at SAG. Who knows what's going to happen? Afterglow, you know, for from my Tanya last year. You it's never know. It's a worthy performance. It's a very worthwhile one. We'll just see if people remember the film long enough. Yeah. All right. So uh, we typically save Oscar stuff towards the end. We're a little out of order here. That's okay, though. Beatrice, do you have any final thoughts on Mary Queen of Scots that we maybe didn't go over or you want to just hit the nail on the head for? And then what's your grade out of 10? Um, I think they're kernels of gold here in this film you know about sex and politics and the expectations of producing an heir and getting married and how this takes a toll on you know women struggling to earn respect but i don't know um i felt sort of middling about this film it felt very standard and the script was super rushed to its detriment so despite some you know inspired casting choices and interesting script tweaks I am going to give this film a 6 out of 10. Oh, all right. That's actually better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Only because the first half, I was going to give a 5 out of 10, but I think it gets bumped up one uh, because of the last 20 minutes of the film. That's so funny you say that because I too was going to give it a 5 out of 10. And I have this I have this rule with myself where if your movie makes me cry, that's an that's an automatic one point increase. And I too landed at a 6 out of 10 as a result. Yeah. So, wow, that's really funny. Uh, <laughs> Will? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, seven out of ten now. Oh, it's it, no. After like sitting on it, it's it's no longer eight. Um, I, I think anyone though who gives First Man like a nine or ten out of ten, and you know rips this apart needs to think long and hard because they are very similar beasts in my opinion with great direction and mediocre scripts and that's all i'll say about that that's fine that's fair the technicals are also on point in both films for you so i i definitely get the similarities there for sure i i totally understand it yeah for me like this reminded me a lot of like i was saying before like american gangster where you have two storylines they cut back and forth Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. The performances are strong individually, but then when they come together, it's like, oh, all right. Like, the fireworks are going. <laughs> like, this is fantastic, and the tears are flowing. And it's, I, I think it culminates in a very, very powerful moment at the end of the film, for sure. Um, it's not something that I think will like, endure, like, I don't know, like, I don't even know if this movie has technically endured, but like Braveheart or something like that, you know, where it becomes like something that gets rewatched like on TV, you know, over and over uh, when it's on. But I definitely think it's a solid film for sure. I think it's very, very solid. Uh, All right. Well, with that said, uh, any final thoughts? Is that it? That's it. That's it. Okay. Beatrice, tell us where they can find you on the Internet. Find me on Twitter at BeansproutBia. Will Mavity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my gosh. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Mary Queen of Scots here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, ACAST, Castbox, and now newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment. We really, really appreciate any feedback about the format or how we conduct ourselves or our bad Scottish accents, whatever it might be. We really, really appreciate it. And also, too, if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.